Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, the long-awaited sequel, maybe, to episode 1.02. That's right, we're talking more train wrecks, this time from Ritman, Ohio, and Statesville, North Carolina. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Welcome to, what is this, episode 5.07 of the show, and that is right, after five and a half seasons, I have decided to finally revisit uh, the bridge that I told everyone about probably almost two years ago now, not quite two years ago, getting there though, uh, we're going to talk about the River Styx Bridge 
and the ghost train associated with that. And then we're going to talk about the uh, Bastion Bridge just outside of Statesville, North Carolina, and uh, the ghost train associated with that. So I've got some coffee here. Uh, there's a bunch of snow on the ground now tonight, and the wind is howling. I don't think you'll hear it. I think I've got it dampened down enough where it won't come over on the mic, but you might hear uh, some wind howling and making just awesome spooky noises through the windows that this house has. But yeah, it finally like snowed enough to be considered like uh, snow. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, I bought a Jeep for this type of snow. So we'll see how the rest of this weekend goes. Right now it's pretty calm. It's kind of stopped snowing, but it's supposed to like warm up and then rain. So then it'll freeze and then it'll snow again. And so by Monday, when everyone has to go back to work, it'll be a nice, like, just snow, ice, snow, ice, uh, you know, combination. So we'll see how all that goes in a couple of days. But if it's not snowing where you are, uh, great, because <laughs> it's snowing here. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to get back into this. So really what it is is I had I had this season planned out pretty much up until this episode, and then I finally got to this episode, and I was like, Oh crap! I've got to I've got to plan out episodes seven and eight. I don't have topics for them yet. I knew what I was doing for the season finale, but I had to figure out these two episodes. So I have, and I wanted to go back and talk about something that I said I would get around to, all the way back on episode one point two, the second episode of the show, and uh, which probably came out like April, I think, of two thousand nineteen, something like that. So I had talked about the Ashtabula train disaster on that episode and had had told everyone about how I used to get that mixed up with another one known as the River Styx Bridge train disaster thing because of a, a very kind of creepy picture of this railroad trestle that's really high up in the air and it kind of overstretches over this road and it's just, you know, I used to find, not find I have, I guess, but uh, look up uh, haunted places in Ohio, you know, back in like high school and stuff. And I had a couple of websites that I would go to. I didn't make them. They were just, you know, ones that I had found, uh, you know, back, back in early 2000s, web design of anything goes that had, you know, you'd go to each one and there would just be like, like a dozen stories on there. And the river sticks bridge popped up an awful lot just because it had this really spooky, ooky picture of this train trestle that was just suspended, you know, high in the air and all of this stuff. And for years, like, I was like, I got that mixed up with, with the Ashtabula train disaster. They are very close. They're in the same kind of Cleveland, Akron, you know, they're up in that area of Ohio by the lake up in, like, northeast Ohio. And so I would always get them mixed up. And then when I went and started researching the Ashtabula one, I was like, oh, wait, no, this isn't it. It's a completely different different bridge, so I had to find that, I was like, you know what, I'm going to tuck that away, and one of these days, we'll do another train disaster uh, episode, the one more geared towards ghost trains, and so, here is that episode uh, now, tonight, and really, as we talk about River Sticks Bridge, uh, it gets even more confusing with bridges, as, as I originally thought, so that is tonight. Uh, Ripman, Ohio, and the River Sticks Bridge, and Statesville, North Carolina, and the Boston Bridge. That is what is on the schedule for tonight's episode. So uh, let's uh, let's let's uh, you know. I'm trying to think of a really stupid train 
like a chugging into it type. I can't. I got nothing. Nothing. Now we're going to talk about some train crap. So uh, tickets, please. Yeah, there we go. That'll work. Hello, friends. My name is Michael Patrick, and I'm the host of the Monsters and Friends podcast. Each week, my Bigfoot friend Barry and I fire up our trusty Winnebago, and we travel the United States in search of cryptids, legends, and lore. However, we're not looking for any old cryptid, legend, and lore. We want to introduce you to some of the monsters of the world that don't get the same spotlight as Barry's cousin Bigfoot. Did you know that in Ireland, there's an 8-foot murderous otter? Or in the Mongolian desert, there's a worm that can kill you. Instantly. Come with Barry and I each and every week as we travel the United States in search of interesting monsters and stories. Once we find them, we usually find a good spot to camp, sit around the campfire, sip on warm cider, and chat about life or sometimes butterflies. We'd love for you to join us each and every week and learn about the amazing things and stories that we discover. You can find the Monsters and Friends podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll chat again real soon. Ritman, Ohio is a little out-of-the-way place on the borders of Wayne and Medina counties. It lies like in between the two, mostly in Medina County, or mostly in Wayne County, I'm sorry, and a little bit in Medina County. It has a population of 6,491, and this town truly has a secret. It is home to a ghastly train wreck with ghostly remnants. However, most people will never know because even though the tale is well known around the area, many go looking in the wrong place. The story starts with a legend of a railway man named Alexander Wallace Logan. Logan was born in Scotland, but in 1854 he immigrated to the uh, United States and became an engineer of the Erie Railroad. He started working for railroads at the age of 19, eventually working his way up to said engineer role. And for 31 years, he drove trains back and forth for the Erie Railroad accident-free until the morning of March 22, 1899. On that night, he was hauling a baggage car, two sleeping cars, a dining car, a day car, and a 79 passengers. They were all aboard the Erie Limited No. 5 on its way to Chicago. The train steamed its way down the tracks at around 80 miles per hour. Then, at 7 a.m., a bolt connecting the axle to the chassis snapped. Logan felt the jolt of the snapping drive rod as the train hurtled for the River Styx Bridge. The bridge is aptly named. The River Styx in Greek mythology is known as the uh, river that separates the land of the living from the land of the dead. Instead of slamming on the brakes, as many would do in this situation, Logan instead slammed the train in reverse and then attempted to slow it down. Hand on the throttle, just lowering it down, holding it back, just praying for something good to happen, right? As the engine approached the River Styx Bridge, the engine jumped the tracks, 
passengers screamed in terror as the massive metal bullet they were in shaked and twisted on those tracks. The engine, which held Logan and his fireman, Brian Ward, toppled over the side of the bridge into the river below. Ward would later say that it was Logan's quick thinking that saved Ward and all the other passengers on the train. If the brakes would have been engaged at that speed, then it was likely the whole train would have went over the bridge. Ward would be seriously injured, along with five other passengers. In the end, the only casualty was Alexander Wallace Logan himself. He was found in the wreckage, pinned between the boiler and the controls, his hand still clutching the throttle. His funeral was held at his home at 500 East Butchell Avenue in Akron, which actually, if you look it up, is no longer there. It's a... Uh, it's uh, right, right where it used to be is an exit or an on-ramp or whatever for uh, Ohio State Route 8. And he is buried at the nearby Glendale Cemetery. It would take only a week or so for stories of ghost trains crashing over the side of the trestle uh, to, start, to start, you know, getting on people's ears. Seven months after the accident, a Dr. William Faber who was the county coroner at the time, and a friend would see such a sight. It was around 11 p.m., and they were driving home from checking up on a patient. It was then that they saw the chugging clouds of smoke from a speeding train. They heard and saw all of it, the screams, the shriek of metal on metal, the sparks, the fire. The good doctor and his companion ran towards the bridge over the river Styx in order to help anyone who may be injured in the wreckage. When they made it to the banks, they found nothing. There was no train, no screaming survivors, absolutely nothing. In April of 1901, three prominent members of the area, Amos Goldner, J.B. Irwin, and a man who we only know as Fielding, his last name, had the same experience. The three men watched in horror as a speeding train hopped the tracks and leapt over the side of the train trestle. Just like Dr. Faber before them, they too ran towards the river, only to find nothing but the bustling waters of the river Styx. The men could only figure that they had shared some sort of hallucination. That was until a few locals also showed up to help. They had heard the noise of the accident, but upon arriving at the banks, they too found nothing. No train, no nothing. Since then, many ghost chasers have traveled to the spooky train trestle, high above the trees, its iron skeleton looming above everyone as they approach. It truly is a haunting and intimidating sight. There is a problem, however, and it's kind of a big one this probably isn't the right bridge. The train trestle that many travel to is actually in the, t is in the town of Medina. Or Medina. I'm not sure how you say it. I'm probably saying it wrong. But uh, there's a town called Medina, Medina, in Medina, Medina County. And it's a few not miles north of Rittman. This bridge is actually called the Rocky River Viaduct, and it runs along the Rocky River and does cross over River Styx Road. So, uh, I deceived you all. I've lied to you all. 
if anyone, depending on what you listen to this pod, this pod, pod show, <laughs> this podcast on, uh, you are seeing like the the episode tile, the art for said episode, which features a picture of the Rocky River Viaduct. And the reason I did that was because that's the picture that I always had in my mind. Also, not a lot of high-res images of that picture on the internet, or any picture of the Rocky River Bridge on the internet, for that matter. So that's why it looks kind of kind of uh, uh, jangly there. But you can get away with it because you're like, ooh, it's a spooky low-res picture. But, like, that is the one that has been stuck in my mind for 18 years, 20 years. And uh, and then so I start researching this. I'm like, we're going to do this episode. And uh, come to find out, not only am I... Am I constantly mixing it up with Ashtabula? But that's not even the right bridge. It's a completely different bridge in a completely different town. So I wanted to use that one because I want everyone to see what I've been imagining in my head uh, for 20 years. And that's why I use the episode title and, and lied to everyone that I'm sorry. Researchers Jerry Holland and Ken Summers tracked down the actual bridge in Rittman. Using information about the Erie Railroad and old newspaper articles, uh, about the accident, they found the correct bridge, which does go over the River Styx in Rittman. And it's a far less spooky-looking bridge. It looks just like any kind of run-of-the-mill railroad bridge that you would think of. It's not, like, super high. It's not like a big, you know, it looks like a, you know, it just looks like a train bridge. Like, it's not this uber-scary-looking thing like the one, uh, the Rocky River Viaduct. But uh, they kind of explained, so I've linked it in the show notes, the website that they used to run uh, about it, and then they also have a book, a Haunted Akron, which I grabbed like when I was doing this in the middle of research on Kindle and read their chapter about this, and uh, that's a great book. Probably not the last time we will talk about that book on this show, but they kind of get into how they found, they were able to track it down because Ken uh, was also into railroad history and he knew a lot about the area and he knew that Rittman had a train track that ran parallel to a road that was called Erie Avenue hence because of the railroad the old Erie Railroad and uh, in one of the old newspaper articles they mentioned that the accident happened a mile from the depot and so I'm assuming that either Medina Medina didn't have uh, a depot for this railroad or if they did have a depot it was further than a mile from this in from where this happened but he knew that Rittman had a depot in the right area in the right distance away so they were able to kind of piece all this together and they think they found the actual train bridge so it is a it is a story that has just been mired in confusion at least in my head for 20 years and it has been nice to finally kind of sit down, go through it all, and uh, figure out what actually happened and where it actually happened. So, if you are in the area and want to do a little ghost hunting, make sure to go to Ripman. It probably won't be crowded, because everyone else will be in Medina. Medina. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. North Carolina began life as far back as 1753, when settlers from Pennsylvania settled there for its fertile farmland. It was dubbed Statesville, two words, in 1789, before being changed to Statesville, one word, in 1800. Much like Ripman, Ohio, it became a bustling railroad town. And also like Ripman, it has its own ghost train story to share. In the early morning of August 27, 1891, engineer William West was running late. 34 minutes late, to be exact. He was scheduled to drive engine number nine of the Richmond and Danville Railroad. Train finally departed Statesville at around 2.30 in the morning. It was said in order to make up time, West drove the train fast out of the station, quickly reaching speeds surpassing 40 miles an hour. Five minutes later, Engine 9 steamed toward Boston Bridge, two miles outside of town. As it reached the bridge, the train derailed, so much so that it went airborne. The Boston Bridge is a 60-foot-tall, five-span bridge that goes over Third River. 
The train was pulling 12 cars in all, including a private car carrying the superintendent of the R&D Railroad. All the cars plummeted over the side of Boston Bridge. The baggage car landed 135 feet from the bridge. So this is another one. It's a passenger train, just like the other one. It had, you know, baggage cars and a first-class car, a second-class car, and a dining car, and, of course, passengers. Disoriented survivors made their way back to Statesville to tell others what happened and to seek assistance. There was no hospital in Statesville, so the injured were put up in residence homes. The 23 people who lost their lives were taken to a tobacco factory to be later identified. What caused the accident was a mystery. Many said that the neglected tracks were to blame. This didn't sit well with the Richmond and Danville Railroad Company, who were already in dire straits money-wise. They knew if it was pinned on the bad railway that they were responsible for upkeeping, they would drown under the lawsuits. R&D quickly put out a $10,000 reward for any information that led to the tampering of the tracks. Six months after the wreck, two already incarcerated men admitted to tampering with the tracks by removing rail spikes. Even so, R&D was still on the hook for some lawsuits and, of course, uh, many, many repairs to the tracks and the bridge to all of that. So they didn't fare too well at the end. This would not be the last people would hear of the now infamous train bridge. A woman wrote to North Carolina folklorist Bruce and Nancy Roberts about a ghostly encounter she had on the 50th anniversary of the accident. Her husband and she were driving along the road along a road one night. This road was nearby the bridge. Their car broke down. Her husband went in search of a mechanic. When she was alone, she witnessed a train cross the bridge and watched in utter horror as it went over the side. Eventually, her husband and a mechanic came back to the car. She told them what she had seen. The two men then went to take a look, but found nothing out of the ordinary at the bottom of the bridge, which sounds very familiar. When the couple got to Statesville, they reported what the wife had seen, only to be told that today was the 50th anniversary of said train wreck. The woman then fainted. In 1942, so I think this is 1891, so this would have just been a year later, Harlan Williams, his wife, and their three-year-old nephew, Brady, had pulled over to have a look at the haunted bridge. While on the tracks, the number 12 train came straight for them. They attempted to get off the bridge, but Harold's wife's shoe had become stuck in the tracks. With no time to escape, all three of them lay as flat as they could on the outside of the crossbeams and let the train drive over them. They escaped certain death by mere inches. Then, as recently as 2010, tragedy struck again. On August 27th, 2010, the 119th anniversary of the accident, a dozen ghost hunters walked the tracks on Boston Bridge, hoping to see the ghost wreck happen before their very eyes. A train did round the bend and make its way to the bridge, 
but it wasn't a spectral locomotive from 119 years ago. It was a modern-day Norfolk Southern train, and it was real. The 12 people scrambled down the bridge as they tried to get away. 11 of them were able to make it to safety. However, 29-year-old Christopher Kaiser was stuck and killed by the train. Kaiser's last act was to push the woman in front of him off the tracks, likely saving her life. The sheriff at the time, Darren Campbell, said it was likely they didn't hear the train until the last minute. There are no crossings in the area, so the engineer had no reason to sound his horn. I would suggest that if you want to investigate a haunted railway bridge, I would say leave this one alone. I'm sure there's plenty other ones out there. And if you are going to, like, find a defunct one. Like, find one that uh, isn't in use anymore. There's a bunch of them around. I've got one down the street that's just like, you know, you know, you can just barely see it just off the road, and there's no trains going over that thing anymore. But there you go. Two train stories, very similar in some ways, but just both of them with their own stories to tell. So with that, that'll be the middle of the show. We're going to play some music, and I'm going to come back after that little intermission there, and we're going to get into uh, this episode's local headlines.
And here we go with this week's local headlines. Uh, this first one is actually, I didn't use like the actual source because it had to be translated and the translation just wasn't like uh, great. But we're talking some chupacabras down in Chile. So we're just going to go with uh, Tim Banal's article on it from Coast to Coast AM. Residents of a village in Chile have begun to suspect that the infamous chupacabra could be behind a series of strange animal deaths that have befallen the community over the last few months. According to a local media report, the curious case is currently unfolding in the town of Central Sydney, which is near the border of Bolivia. Back in November, a handful of llamas and apacas died under mysterious circumstances in which their blood was seemingly drained from their bodies. Although the initial incidents were attributed to ne'er-do-wells of the human variety, the attacks continued to occur over the course of several weeks. Villagers began to wonder if something more sinister and potentially supernatural could be to blame. Farmer Juan Choque explained that the slain creatures are more often than not juvenile llamas and alpacas, which is rather inexplicable since it does not suit anyone, in quotes that is. They thought that a person residing in the village might be the culprit, has been, and it has been largely dismissed because, he mused, no one could have such evil. As the deaths went on and on, reaching a whopping 50 killed animals as of this week, some members of the community put forward the theory that their, oh, that their town has become the proverbial hunting ground were a notorious cryptid known as the chupacabra. While skeptics will say that the chupacabra does not exist and is merely an urban legend which has, in this case, spawned something of a hysteria, Choke takes the uh, possibility seriously and has gone as far as setting up lights around his property in the hopes of fending off the blood-sucking beast. His mystification at the animal deaths has been echoed by another rancher who observed that the predator does not eat the meat nor the entrails. I have never seen anything like this. It attacks at night and the animals seem not to defend the babies. Looking to get to the bottom of the mystery in Central Sydney, local officials enlisted experts to examine the downed creatures. But their analysis proved futile as they found the attacks did not appear to have been committed by known predators in the area. As such, additional tests have been ordered on the animals in the hopes that some kind of clue might emerge which will help close the case. Until then, farmers like Choke are forced to wait and hope that neither they nor their livestock fall victim to the mysterious creature which has the community on edge. And this next one is uh, from WLBT.com by Josh Carter. The headline reads, Family Believes Christmas Present unleash paranormal activity into their Brandon home. Brandon, Mississippi. It sounded like someone was knocking on the walls. That's how Whitley Merritt describes the beginning of the nearly three weeks of alleged paranormal activity her family endured after receiving a Christmas present last month. The present was a vintage doll carriage. Her mother had gotten it from a friend of a friend and had gifted it to Whitney's daughter where it sat by the Christmas tree for the first few days. The knocking, Whitney says, began at the beginning of the year. They would hear it 
on the walls of their Brandon home, which they have recently moved into. The sounds grew so loud that on two occasions Whitney walked to the front door thinking someone was outside. It was midnight, so Whitney called her husband, Michael, who works nights. I think someone was at the front door, she told her before turning on the porch light, but when she opened it, no one was there. And then, about the third or fourth night was when we started hearing like a boom, boom, boom in the attic, she recalls as she rubs her chest, leaving it red. At first, they simply rode it off. The home was built in 1992. Maybe it was just settling in. I don't know. Logical reasons I'm trying to come up with my head, Whitney admits. But soon the sounds above their living room became so frequent that they could no longer be ignored. So one weekend, in the middle of the night, Michael went into the attic carrying a shotgun and a flashlight, expecting to find someone up there. We were out there making so much noise, Whitney says, people probably thought we were crazy. We thought there was someone in the attic, but no one was up there. And so ended week one. Week two started with the bang. It was around two or three in the morning when Whitney was awakened from what she calls a deep sleep. The noise was so loud, she says, that she thought their dog had crashed through the window of their door. She grabbed her handgun and walked around their home, but found nothing. In the morning, while walking in the kitchen, she discovered that there was a bag on the ground. In the bag, there were coffee mugs that she had recently purchased from TJ Maxx. The bag was three or four feet away from the table. Both of the mugs were broken. There was no way they could have fallen over at all, Whitney says admirably. Adamantly. I mean, they were on their they weren't on their side or anything. They're just not gonna roll, you know what I mean? They just don't roll. Which makes sense because they would have probably have like a handle on them, they wouldn't roll that much. The next night, another bang. It was around three thirty in the morning. Whitney rushed into the kitchen to find another bag on the floor inside another shattered mug. This time, shards of glass had come out of the bag, and so Whitney began sweeping it up. After putting the glass in the trash can, Whitney started walking back to her bedroom. That's when she heard the sound of someone dropping a load of silverware into the sink. I mean, I wasn't even back in the bedroom yet, and that's when I turned around. I about broke my back, she says. I went back to the sink to look and I was like maybe something slipped and fell and I had just done the dishes there was nothing in the sink so I was freaked out I stayed up for a while the last week a series of events occurred mostly involving her children's rooms and their toys the dream catcher and lamp in her daughter's room fell to the floor multiple times after investigating it the second time they fell Whitney and Michael were walking back to their bedroom when the bathroom door slammed behind them at first, they thought maybe one of the children had gone to use the bathroom, but the light never came on. So my husband opened up the door real quick and turned the light on, and there was nothing in there, Whitney says. As she stood there messing with the doors in the hallway for a minute, just trying to figure out a logical explanation, like maybe it was the suction that slamming the door. But the door never moved again. The next day, the family was in the living room when one of the children's toy cars started playing music repeatedly. When they checked it, the toy's power switch was turned off. Later that evening, Whitney went to wake up Michael for work. As he got ready, Whitney began to sweep the living room. 
As she swept, she saw her husband walk into the kitchen to fix himself some coffee. She always, as she says, she asked him a question, which he ignored, so she asked it again. Still no answer. Frustrated, she walked into the kitchen, but found no one there. Whitney walked into their bedroom to find her husband asleep. I saw him, Whitney says. I saw. I swear on my kids, I'm not crazy. Please don't think I'm crazy, because repeating this to somebody, I know it sounds weird, because I have never believed in any of it ever in my life. I'm not, but I saw a person walk past the door into the kitchen. Then came the final straw. It was the day after Whitney says she saw someone walk into their kitchen. She had gone to get groceries at the Kroger on Spillway Circle with her daughter. Her four-year-old was at their grandparents and the seven-year-old was at school. Michael was the only one home. Whitney said it was around 12.30 when he called her. Hey, is Paxton home? Michael asked. Whitney said no, he was still at school. When Whitney and her daughter got home, Michael explained the call. He said that he was in bed and when he heard the front door close. Then he heard Paxton's door close and then began to hear knocking on the walls. He called Pax's name five or six times, but there was no answer. That's when he uh, got up and walked into his son's room. Pax's bedroom light was on, his Xbox, was, his Xbox was on, and a bottle of water was actively dripping on the floor. After telling Whitney the story, they had a discussion about all the strange occurrences at their home and when they had begun. We were sitting here and Michael just fixated on that little baby carriage and we stuck that little baby carriage, I'm sorry, and we stuck it outside. Since then, everything has been normal. No more knocking, no more footsteps in the attic. The carriage now resides in the garage and has been placed on Facebook Marketplace for $65. Full disclosure, the caption reads, it's definitely haunted, so yeah. Whitney did say that eventually they received more backstory from the carriage from her mother, who told her that the owner's husband had been killed in a motorcycle accident on the Natchez Trace a year ago. She believes it is possible that that's who she saw walk past her in the kitchen. We both strongly believe that there is a spirit to it attached to that doll buggy, Michael wrote in a text message. With what was going on, there was no other explanation. It all started with all the knocking and banging on the walls out of nowhere and I knew. Whitney says that she wouldn't argue with anyone who doubts the story and that she too is hesitant to believe people who claim to have seen something paranormal. I didn't want to say any of it out loud because it sounds, you know, I know how it sounds, Whitney says. Not stupid. I know how it sounds. But you know what it, but you know how it is. And I actually, I know that was a long one. But I, I really liked that story because it had a lot going on. Um, I kind of think that they're just trying to offload a buggy that they didn't want in the first place because they're trying to sell it for $65. Like, if they were just give it to me, I'd be like, yeah, I'll take it. But I ain't buying your haunted thing for $65. But I, I just like it because it was a new story that they just reported on and took it seriously. They didn't make any stupid jokes or anything like that. They just said, here's the story. Here's what happened read it. And uh, I actually have another story, but I think the snowstorm has now knocked the internet out. Because if I click on the link, uh, I'll get nothing. So let's just uh, stick to two stories for tonight, and uh, we'll move on to your 
Small Town Secrets. And tonight I've got a couple of stories from good old Reddit. This first one, also about creepy toys that come on about themselves, is from Ike Driver 200, or maybe 2000, I might have missed a no. And uh, this is their story. I don't know why, but for some reason, during the late hours of the night, my kids' electronic toys will suddenly turn on and make noises. These are like push-button toys, or sometimes motion, motion sensor toys, which will light up and talk or make sound effects. Last night, it was a dragon toy that roars when you pick it up. Another time, it was a toy cell phone that requires buttons to be pushed. When our littlest was a baby, it was her uh, walker that would constantly be going off at night. My wife sometimes sleeps in the living room on her recliner, which is close to the kids' playroom. She tells me that she hears some kind of noise coming from there almost every night. Also note that our kids do not sleep in their playroom. Sometimes the toys are in the living room or another bedroom, where one of the kids uh, might have left it. I have experienced it a couple of times, but my wife is the one who tells me it's constant, almost like clockwork. Is there any kind of explanation for this sort of thing? Or has anyone experienced something similar? Is there some kind of electronic field in the air that could be causing this, or what? We've never noticed it during the day. Uh, I would say if it always happens at night and it always happens around the same time, the first thing I would do is like look for something electronic that kicks on at night. Maybe it's like the central air or something like that. And maybe it's just wired, not great. And when it kicks on, it's giving off like a high EMF. And I don't know if that could uh, cause toys to do that, maybe, depending on what kind of toy it is. But like, when you start talking about toys that have to have buttons pressed in order for something to happen, or that have to be moved like the dragon in order for something to happen, then, then things get a little more squirrely for me. Uh, I guess depending on what it was made in, and what kind of technology is in it. Maybe a high EMF could pull that off, but I don't know. Like, I've never heard of any type of electromagnetic interference, like turning something on and making it go. It usually just makes people feel weird and has their skin crawling. It can make you hallucinate and do all that if it's really high and it's really bad. So that could be one thing to check, just to make sure there isn't something kicking on that's, like, giving off way too much electronic interference, but I don't think it would affect toys, at least in that way. But that is a possibility. But like I said, when you start pressing buttons, and like when something has to be like manipulated physically, that's when it gets spooky. This next one is from that boy Cream Puff, and they allow me to share their shadow person story. I was about maybe seven years old when this happened. I have always been frightened of the dark, and to this day, I need a nightlight to sleep. On this particular night, I was scared and sleeping with my parents. I was in the middle, 
I suddenly woke up and I remember seeing a black figure standing near the wardrobe at the left side of the foot of the bed. It was staring directly at me and slowly lifted its arm and pointed at me. I was petrified, shaking uncontrollably. I hid under the blankets, and when I went to look again, it slowly faded away. I don't think I have ever been more scared. I will remember that experience until the day I die. I can tell you that the figure was male. It was of average height and honestly just looked like a person. It honestly looked a lot like me. But let me tell you, that didn't make its presence any less terrifying. It just didn't move like a human would. It was still as a statue, and when it raised its arm, it was such a smooth and robotic-like movement, I can't explain it. And it's one of the scariest moments of my life. And that seems pretty on par for, I think, shadow, shadow person experiences. You don't hear you don't hear a lot of them I think fading away though that's kind of interesting and I would like to know I would like to hear more about like what this what this thing looked like um, for example was it wearing a hat you know there's like a whole kind of subgenre of shadow people that wear hats and that's like its own thing and there are different versions and different flavors of them but a good shadow person story and I can't imagine like seeing something that, experiencing something like that at seven years old. But that has been uh, a couple, couple of good red stories this this episode. I really liked them. Thanks, thanks for letting me use them, guys. And uh, that will be this episode's uh, your small town secret segment. And uh, that'll do it for episode seven of season five. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, now is the time where I plug away. If you have a small town secret to share, uh, so many ways you can get my story. We, I do have a subreddit on Reddit, which you can find uh, with all of the other links at the bottom of stscast.com. Right above those links on the main page is an email form that you could fill out, and either of those will get, get your story to me. Uh, I am also on social media. You can find me on Twitter. Facebook, and now TikTok, because I'm hip and with it. All three of those are at STScast. Also on Instagram, that one's a little bit different. That one is at STScast.gram. Uh, you can get at me and uh, get your story to me that way as well. In any way you want to do it, if it's like a newspaper newspaper article that you got, a personal experience, you know, if you just want me to read it, uh, you could record it yourself if you wanted to. We could just slap it in here. We can do a Skype call. We can do a Zoom call. We can do any of that, any of that jazz. So any way to get it to me and almost any way to get it on the show, any way you prefer. So let me know. Uh, if you like the show, please consider leaving uh, a rating and or review on your podcatcher of choice, especially if it's iTunes. If you want to support the show, there is a merch. At stscast.com, there is a merch link right at the top. You can buy t-shirts and coffee mugs, phone cases. I'm actually getting ready to switch over to another company, which offers, I think, some really, like, some different stuff that I don't see everywhere. I'm going to go to Redbubble, I think. And uh, there's going to be all sorts of just crazy stuff with the logo on it that you can buy. So if that that's a great way to support the show. The best way to support the show 
is uh, on Patreon. So just head over. It's stscast.com slash Patreon. Or you can go to the support tab at stscast.com and get to it there too. Uh, three levels of supports, ad-free shows, stickers, buttons, access to the music, all that and more. And of course, how do, how do I forget? Uh, STS Backroads, which is the exclusive extended extension to uh, these normal episodes. So you get kind of like an extra story that usually nine times out of ten follows along with the theme of of this episode. So next week, I'll be talking about the Wellington Avalanche and Railway Disaster. So that is... So if you need more railway disaster, disasterness, then Patreon is the way to go. Uh, if you don't or can't want to support the show financially, like I said, just leave a like, leave a rating or review, and tell a friend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 